say welcome to the new flesh podcast a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror horror movies and the horror lifestyle um there are two let's go let's say there are there's a two-pronged reason why i'm not doing a song this week one we have a guest and i'm embarrassed and i do not like to do my silly little song and dances in front of the guest uh, second pronged reason is we're covering a movie called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And I, in my uh, storied four to five minutes of prep before the show, did not come up with a brilliant song to fit in that very wonky title. But I did come up with a conceptual piece, let's say. Uh, the closest thing I could think of was the U2 album, how to dismantle an atomic bomb, which I That's believe features this. Thank you. Which I believe features features the song Vertigo, which I believe opens with Uno Dos Tres Catorce. So that's a little memento special of how you got that intro. Um, <laughs> I thank you. I would have uh, leaned into uh, how to succeed in business without even trying, and and gone, Ooh, how to just like blow up a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> that, uh, George is really... Okay, I have to introduce you now. Uh, George Heffler is here. He is the host of a... Not even a horror-adjacent show. It is a horror show. Purely yeah. pure horror. George is living the horror lifestyle. It's a show I've done. It is a great show. I'll let George explain the premise, even though I could probably do a pretty good job of explaining the premise of the show. The show is the best little horror house in Philly. Uh, and the host is George Heffler, and he is here. Hello. Hello. Very, very excited to be here uh, and talking about a movie that I really enjoyed quite a bit. It was such amazing happenstance that you had already seen this movie when I was looking for someone <laughs> to talk to this week about it. I'm very glad you're here. Um, so your show, The Best Little Horror House in Philly, you have on. I mean, you, I'll, I'll try to explain it and then you can correct me because I'm going to okay. be just woefully wrong. <laughs> you you interview really cool people such as the hosts of the New Flesh podcast and uh, uh, much cooler people than me. And you ask them, what is your favorite horror movie of all time? Is it favorite or is it what is the best movie horror movie of all time to you? The How do you best horror it? movie ever made, according to Boom. our guest. See, at least. I, I fucked it up. <laughs> No, you that's got it. You got here. it pretty much. But that's the thing is that because best is so subjective, it basically becomes favorite. Um, and so part of part of what I love doing about the show is that for every episode, uh, I agree with the guest 
for that episode that their pick is the best horror movie ever made. And so it, it comes like people feel free to really gush about the minutiae. Because they're not worried about like, oh, am I going to be talking about this thing? And suddenly George is like, actually, I fucking hated that. I thought it was stupid as hell. Um, <laughs> that's not really like where the show is. There's a little bit of kayfabe happening where sometimes I don't love every single movie. But for the duration of the show, I am agreeing that it's the best. And so we really talk about the things we like about it. And um, we yeah have had some really amazing guests like Brett has been on talking about Videodrome, which was a lot of fun, really a ton to dig into with that one. We have a lot yes. of really great comedians come on the show, like Mike Mitchell from Doughboys. Jordan Morris was just on to talk about Blade, which was great. Blade is maybe one of the best movies ever made. So that is I'm very <laughs> excited to listen to that one. Uh, it is a great show. George is an incredible host. He does like incredible amounts of research and all that research comes out via the natural podcast conversation you never feel like you're getting a download of wikipedia from george it is a really great show i am supremely jealous of his acumen as a host and clearly jealous of his uh zip zap zop improv abilities at the top of the show already (laughs) had a better suggestion for the song um so i'm gonna have to consult george going forward uh jesse What's going on in Hassinger's world? Or actually, oh, I, I fucked up. I fucked up that segment too. I believe it's called <laughs> Jesse's World. And then I have the eighties <laughs> music going. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I hesitate to. All I'm thinking about because what I was doing yesterday, I feel I, I don't. I, basically, I don't want to derail the podcast again by making this into a recurring Super Mario Brothers thing. But that's, yes! what did. That's, that's what's up with me, is that I we went to go see, and Brett uh, was also there, we went to go see the Super Mario Brothers movie at the at the press screening uh, last night. As we're recording this, it's last night. As this is airing, uh, Super Mario Brothers has, has made, I assume, uh, I don't know, 400 million domestic for its opening weekend. <laughs> something like that. But... We are just in the in the fresh and the glow of having seen the decidedly non horrific Super Mario Brothers twenty twenty three, not the nineteen ninety three. I'm also feeling it, and um, my first impression of the press screening was a lot more children in the press these days than they yeah, used yeah. to be. <laughs> They're all wearing those hats with the little card in them. Yeah, uh, a lot of newsy <laughs> newsy hats in there. Um, Back in my day, they had the dignity to at least conceal themselves under a trench coat on each other's shoulders. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Mario has really emboldened them. That's why. (laughs) Short King, etc. Yeah, yeah, it's not a good movie, but I will say watching it in a crowd of like, I would say, I don't want to say wrapped children because they were not like bowing down to this movie as if it was like the coolest thing that I've ever seen but they no. it had their attention and they seemed yes. to enjoy it for the most part and there was a palpable like kids are enjoying this energy to the proceedings that I think led me to believe like when we were walking out I'm like yeah that was like inoffensive fine for kids I don't understand why people are really going hard on it it's literally an illumination movie for children and like yes. I still feel yeah. that way but at the same time, with a little with 12 hours distance or whatever, I still <laughs> I do have that like, well, that was really an empty spectacle of just here's like just pure nostalgia bait. Here's all this stuff you recognize type of experience for yes. a person of my age uh, in their 30s. Like and I've already seen some people in their 30s like it. And I'm already just like, 
well, I guess that shit works then, huh? <laughs> that that <laughs> just like put stuff on screen that people will recognize. Uh, it seems the most influential meme or the most influential film of all time has to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it includes the Rick Dalton pointing at the screen situation, <laughs> which has become a meme, which has yeah. become the mode in which people watch movies now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I pretty much agree. I thought it was kind of, I, I was like less, in, I was mostly thinking about it as, a, as an illumination movie because I've seen uh, almost all of those things. And I found it much less annoying <laughs> Than, than many of them um but maybe not their all-time least annoying movie i'd have to do you have to do like a bracket i guess a march madness bracket to figure out the least annoying illumination movie um but it's kind of cute it's like not very good i'm glad my child my child enjoyed it she was wildly anticipating it and i can never tell after she wildly anticipates a movie if it lived up to her expectations it's a hard subject to touch without trying to feel like you're goading them into being like yeah, not and it didn't. <laughs> you know, like right. I feel like she wasn't like, you know, talking about the movie constantly, but she was interested in it and we were like chatted about it a lot this morning on the way to school and and I but I like I'm always trying to, you know, kind of get at like so was this like was this as good an experience as you wanted it to be? But and then I'm like I should just leave it alone and just let her live with the like, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want her to maybe I almost don't want her to think too much about like was that disappointing? Was that you your Godzilla her... 1998? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should at least get her to give you like what is it 140 or 280 characters like uh-huh. in the style of a Lex tweet that ends with great experience. <laughs> great experience. Yeah. yeah. She, uh, she, I, I will say, I think she and I actually had the same favorite part, which is that there's a part where Jack Black playing Bowser does a little song on a piano about how much he loves Princess Peach. And yeah. she thought that was really funny. And I was like, yeah, it is really funny. You're correct. Well, is- I'm going to use <laughs> that. Uncle Brett's going to use that as a way in to tenacious D fandom. That's right. I was, I was, I was a gateway. Yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking about, you know, early this past few weeks, I would occasionally because she really liked this, the uh, SNL sketch they did about a Mario Kart movie that like in the style of The Last of Us, which I thought was amusing. I showed yes. that to her and she thought that was so funny. And she was like, I want to see that so bad. Um, she just not ironically wants to watch the, like, that Mario movie Brothers looks <laughs> awesome. Give me <laughs> yeah, that. She was like, yeah. can we watch it? Why is that not the movie we're watching? Uh, so I was like thinking about her other SNL sketches I could show her that were like not inappropriate for children. And mostly her reaction has been puzzlement. Uh, like I showed her Lunch Lady Land, I was like, "Oh, that's silly and funny," you know, with like Sandler and Farley, and she was just kind of like, yeah. "What is this? Like, what? Why?" <laughs> uh, but you're right. I should have been thinking of Tenacious D songs that aren't vulgar, of which I think there are like two. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm trying to think. Friendship, Boy. no, yeah, Wonder Boy, uh, yeah, ev- every one I think is nice, just like devolves into swear words <laughs> yeah. at some. Yeah, point Wonder Boy is mostly nice, but at the end he just starts like ranting about something about that's overtly sexual, and and I think um, tribute might actually not have any sex in it. So that what about a watch uh, that Papageno song? <laughs> My Sassafras, yes, yeah. great song. John C. Riley as Sasquatch in Tenacious yeah. D in the Pick of Destiny, one of uh, a seminal film of of my youth seeing it opening night with nobody else in the theater basically yeah Um, it is terrific terrific film i love that i saw that movie twice actually two and a half times because the print broke the first time i saw it oh my god directed by (laughs) is it liam lynch of my united states whatever (laughs) uh liam lynch liam lynch of syphil and ollie are you too are you are you too young to know syphil and ollie 
You're yeah, right. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, it's so good. To find Sifflinali on YouTube. I mean, that's where United States of Whatever comes from. It's a song that he did on Sifflinali, which was a sock puppet show he did on MTV with a friend of his. It's very funny and goofy. It's like a kind of, it's, I would say it's like a more stonery and more sort of sweet-spirited Beavis and Butthead sort of energy. Uh, but it's with sock puppets. Highly recommended. Sounds, Great sounds appealing. Songs. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, super, anyway, super interesting. A bunch of not horror stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Jesse's World. I'm glad we took a stop at Jesse's World. We will talk more about Super Mario Brothers somehow on a bonus episode. We will find more to say, despite us <laughs> talking about it for the most of the episode last week. Um, <laughs> all right, let's jump right to the news. Please uh, commentate as needed, everybody. Uh, I'm going to just try to breeze through them so we can talk about Pipeline. And then Jesse and I can record some bonus episodes. So let's fucking roll through this shit. Michael Mann is eyeing Heat 2 as his next film with Warner Brothers. Uh, Warner Brothers is currently in negotiation with Michael Mann. Uh, and Adam Driver is in talks to play the young Neil McCauley, a.k.a. the Robert De Niro part. Because, spoiler alert, uh, Robert De Niro dies in Heat. Uh, Neil McCauley dies at the end of Heat. And in Heat 2, which is a book, if you weren't aware, Michael Mann and uh, not a ghostwriter, but another author, her name is Meg Gardner, I believe, they co-wrote a sequel to Heat in book form. It's called Heat 2. And it takes place in like the years, like the immediate aftermath of what happens in Heat, but it also flashes back to like the immediate, uh, the crimes that Neil McCauley does and the crimes that uh vincent hannah al pacino is pursuing before they do the the heist from heat so it's very awesome of course it's amazing to read a book that is like i've never had this phenomenon where like a book is written to be performed by al pacino so (laughs) every line of dialogue just really is written for al pacino and it is very it is an amazing phenomenon more books should have al pacino readings uh to them anyway that book, which I'm pretty sure the whole impetus for writing it was, I don't know why it t- would take Michael Mann writing a book to make that happen, but he <laughs> did write the book. And now the book, which is a number one New York Times bestseller, is being adapted into a movie. And yeah, Adam Driver, who's recently starred in Michael Mann's Ferrari, which is in post-production now, uh, and I hear is very good. Um, what do, what else do we know about this? Uh, WB is in negotiations to fund the development. New Regency co- co-financed the first film, and insiders add that they might do, uh, join here as well. Uh, so yeah, the book is not a novelization of the film. Rather, it tells the story of everything that happens before and after, jumping between two time periods, as I mentioned. The first follows Val Kilmer's character. Is that right? Chris Chirillis, as he tries to evade the LAPD. Uh, the second storyline takes back to 1988 with Macaulay and Chris and their crew taking on like Chicago stuff and doing a big cartel bust and all this shit. It's a really great book, but it is very intense. There's like the like very graphic home invasion, rape and murder stuff that I would imagine gets softened in a movie. But anyway, Heat 2. Excited, uh, George? Very much so. I'm a big Heat fan, as is most people who have seen it. Uh, but I, I, I'm really, I mean, the cast sounds great. I had heard that Austin Butler might get involved as well. I'm excited to see what Elvis might do in the heat crew. Um, (laughs) yeah, he's, he's bringing, it's, it's giving 3000 miles to Graceland. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. Um, I, I am excited though. I own the book. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet because it took me three, three tries at ordering it to actually receive it because the first time it got lost in the mail, the second time it got stolen from my porch. And the third time (laughs) I finally ordered it with the heat 4k that was on sale. And so I said, if I package them together, perhaps it will finally arrive to me. (laughs) And, uh, and that was the case. So I now have it. Yes. (laughs) But I'm not, you had to you had to do more capitalism for it to work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you didn't meet the minimum requirement. I'm picturing after it was stolen off your porch, I'm picturing you like surveilling, surveilling your porch going, these guys are good. <laughs> yeah. This Dude, they didn't is feel good. the heat around the corner at all. <laughs> yeah. Picturing you running down the stairs that very specific way Al Pacino does in the movie after yes. them. Which they I tried also to get Hank Azaria to flip on them. They wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. God, that movie is so fucking good. It. I'm. I'm still mad at myself. It played at IFC Center when the 4K restoration came out. Just like for months, it played at IFC Center every day, multiple showings a day, as if it were a new release for months. And I'm pretty sure a friend of the show, Bilga Abiri, went like five times, if not more. Had plenty of opportunity <laughs> to go see it. And I didn't see it, so I'm waiting wow. for it to come out again because I haven't. I just I haven't seen it as a you know in a rep screening, and I certainly didn't see it as a four year old. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see that in a theater eventually. And Heat Two would uh, certainly give me the opportunity. There's definitely going to be New York rep screenings around Heat if that happens, and there will certainly be, probably even be like a national like AMC does it or something. Uh, yeah. Jesse, you're a heat guy, right? Everyone's a heat guy. I uh, yeah. Who? What? What? It's I'm. I'm a guy. I'm a heat guy. Uh, I'm. <laughs> I feel a little weird about the idea of the sequel, just because Michael Mann's only got so much time left. And but apparently he's been of, wanting to make this for like 30 years, like which allegedly. is weird because I mean yeah. I know the, the movie the movie's like box office history is interesting because it didn't it wasn't a huge hit but it did it opened kind of soft in the holiday season but it stuck around and did pretty well but it didn't get an Oscars bump because it didn't get any Oscar nominations it was just sort of like oh yeah it was a hit movie the way that like movies starring grown up movie stars would just kind of like do okay kind of regardless not regardless but. You know, if it was halfway good, it would you something like that would usually do pretty it's well. It's like the epitome of an HBO cable movie, also to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it so it did pretty well, but then of course it got a much bigger following, both critically and audience wise. Like it's like a much bigger deal with general audiences, I would say. And it also became, I think, even more of a critical favorite. It got good reviews, but it wasn't like rapturous reviews when it first came out. Um, so I don't know. Part of me feels like maybe you know it's been thirty years almost. Maybe like it'll be thirty years by the time this comes out if it comes out. And part of me is like, maybe 20 years would have made sense. I just like, I think if you're doing, it would have been cool to do a sequel that's Godfather 2 style, you know, the flashback and the and the current day story, where you could still have Pacino doing it, right? Because like, he's in the present day story. And oh, yeah, I would of, imagine he is. You think but he, I guess I, he's too old. Is that the idea that you're I thinking? Think, I think he's signed up. I think I saw he's signed up. Yeah, I'm pretty were, sure he would be. about yeah. him, him signing up, but I wasn't sure if he actually had and if they what, would they be de-aging him because it's been sold. He looks very it different is, now. Yeah, it was a thought I had while reading the book about they're going to have to probably de-age him um, if they do it. But I, I just assumed they would I, recast entirely. But now I don't think you like can. I agree with yeah. you. If you were if I were thinking they were going to recast Pacino, I would also be saying don't do it. But I think in the, you know, he's around and I agree he's he's quite old, but like, look at that performance in Irishman, you know, it's still great. It's not like he's a lesser performer as in as this older 
man. So, but yeah. you're right. If he would be playing, it's like a period piece thing. So it's yeah. I mean, tough. he's he's playing. He's you know, playing, the age He was thirty years. He would ago. be playing Hannah. Yeah, plus flashback to the '88, which is younger. Yeah, is Hannah also so, in the '88 though? Because isn't it? I think yes. it's just Macaulay in the '88. Um, Hannah, no, Hannah it now. is. I feel like it is because I'm reading the. I read the book not that long ago, and I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay, just, I mean, there's definitely flashbacks. Too. Yeah, because yeah. he's like facing uh, that crew, a different crew. Yeah. Okay. Um. Oh boy, it just this you know, other know this, this other crew is also good. He says <laughs> these guys are also good. Um. Let's <laughs> you know. I mean, like, so I have the book also on my shelf. A friend of mine got it for me, and I'm very excited to read it. And. I, I kind of like the idea like, oh, yeah, if you're going to do a sequel, just put it in a book and you can enjoy it that way or in that way. It sort of leaves the movie alone. Yeah, you can uh, ignore I've, it if you are a purist. Exactly. It doesn't even if you read it and don't like it, it's not really the same. I mean, I, I'm not a big feeling of like big person to feel like, oh, a sequel, a bad sequel messes with the original. Like the, the original exists, you know, like this could be the worst fucking movie in the world. And I would the heat still is heat. So it doesn't matter, really. I just like I, I more. It's more like Michael Mann's probably only got a few movies left in him. And I, I would probably rather see him do something that wasn't a sequel. Uh, but I mean, like, obviously, by the time this comes out, I'd be really pumped and like would would see it. It's just like, is it? It's not going to live up to it. like Heat is like it, it is like making a sequel yeah. to The Godfather or something, which they did, and it was great. Although I don't love <laughs> The Godfather too as much as I love Godfather, but so but it's such a hard degree of difficulty, right, to make a sequel to something like The Godfather versus making a sequel to something like John Wick or whatever. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, like you know, I understand them doing. Uh, Den of Thieves 2, which is apparently yes, coming yes, out. Sure, uh, sure. Which is Burt Bag Heat, and like, yes, doesn't have, yes. no one's mad at that getting a sequel. Um, right, right. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like tough to sequelize something so iconic. It's always a tough yeah. situation. Yeah, it's, kind of, but, it's just a perfect movie in its, in its, in its way, and it's uh, hard to picture how but you hey, do that. Best case scenario, man's involved, Pacino's involved, etc. Like, it, at least if you're trying to there's like the cynical side. You could be like, well, at least it's happening in this form and not like some random fucking guys directing it. Yeah. And yeah. it's it stars Righteous Kill, ran- which is basically direct to video heat too. Um, oh God. The, uh, Righteous Kill. <laughs> when I had heard that the casting bit I had heard was that maybe Adam driver would play De Niro's part. Uh, and that I can see, I can see that being pretty cool. Yeah. Adam driver, driver De Niro's part. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know who Austin, but oh, Austin Butler now having read it i'm sure it's he's gotta be like, val right I, I would imagine yes because there's they need that that's a huge role and val is not able to yeah definitely not yeah. definitely not able to do that uh so yeah you're right and anna de Armas is rumored but i've heard that that rumor is false from let's say uh a michael man's insider has told me <laughs> that people anna just DeArmas. wishful thinking yeah. have rumored Russell Crow? yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was uh, the the Pope's exorcist himself, who we will be talking about um, next I week. I do not need an Adarmus to defend my faith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so looking forward to that. Crow is like the only like another exorcism movie. I'd be like, whatever. But I'm so looking forward to the Pope's exorcist just for Russell Crowe playing an exorcist. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. presumably an Italian guy. Yeah, it's getting the Sony courtesy no screening until an hour before it opens for a uh, thing, which doesn't doesn't provide much confidence in it. No, but no, I, I think it'll be bad, but I think it'll be fun. <laughs> yes, that's fair. That's what I'm hoping for. That's about the best case scenario. All right. Yeah. Moving on. 
I have seen Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid, and I will not say anything more on the matter other than if you have a Jewish mother, uh, good luck with that one. It's a tough, it's a tough, <laughs> tough sit. It is very nightmarish. You're living inside an anxious man's nightmare reality. It's very funny and great. But I only bring it up to say uh, New York Times did a profile or an interview with him ahead of Bo is Afraid's release. And he said that his next movie is almost certainly going to be a Western that also stars Joaquin Phoenix, who just did Bo is Afraid. So that's pretty exciting if you're an Ari Aster head, which Jesse apparently is not. And I don't know about <laughs> I just, George. I, I, I'm not, not, I mean, I'm not anti-Aster. I liked both Hereditary and Midsommar well enough. And I actually liked Midsommar more than Hereditary. I just, I, I feel like I associate him so closely, unfairly, with Robert Eggers. And I really like Robert Eggers stuff. And Aster, I, like, I'm kind of like, I don't know about you, dude. <laughs> hereditary my reaction was like i don't know uh, this is like half credit to my friend nathaniel because i feel like we talked it out and kind of felt similarly about this movie i don't know that that movie is made by someone who's fully in control of like what the movie is doing <laughs> you know what i mean do you, do you know what i mean sure. like i just don't know what that, that that movie like is doing everything it thinks it's doing or doing everything it wants to do and doing it right i don't know it's a it's a weird movie and i have to I assume it's interesting George, I have to assume you've covered at least one of those movies on the pod, if not both. Yes, we Hereditary was actually a very early pick, and uh, you know, not not without reason for me. I I do like it a lot. I think its fandom is a little overblown. Um, yeah, I like it a lot, and I agree exactly with what you're saying. The fandom is overblown, but I I said what I said, and you confirmed it because it has that status, right? As like, yeah. oh, Hereditary. Is it like a normie? I don't want to. I hate to use the word normies, but like when I say normies, I mean like people who aren't obsessively listening to like horror movie podcasts. I feel like yeah. people like the mainstream that movie, even though it was a small A twenty four thing, it broke through in that way, and people do see it as like this really scary movie that is among their favorites. I do feel. Yeah, like, I, I think it like has that crossover appeal for sure, and I think that part of it is just that it is like a, a ghost slash demon story, which, you know, people who are like, oh, horror is just gore. You know, this gave them an opportunity to feel superior and, uh, <laughs> and and talk about how it doesn't need it actually doesn't even need gore to be scary. Actually, it's like, OK, right. <laughs> uh, and Midsummer, have you covered or no? Not yet. That has come up as a as an alt pick for a few people who have who have been like, well, I kind of am interested in a few of these, but it hasn't uh, ever been selected for real yet. I do like it as well. Um, I, I and I have a Jewish mother, so I'm sure this will be scary to me <laughs> for for <laughs> Bo is afraid. Um, so oh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, Midsommar, I also thought was maybe a little maybe a little worse than uh, Hereditary, but maybe a little more visually interesting and um and i i agree that i do also kind of unfairly lump him in with robert eggers because they kind of got big at the same time and also do prefer robert eggers right yeah yeah Yeah. a24 bro like young a24 stable it's like they're like right a a list director stable um yeah but was afraid man i the first thought afterwards just like i couldn't imagine Ari sitting down and showing that to his mom, like, yeah. like I can't, truly, like it, like gives me the most anxiety I could possibly imagine to think of like how she reacted to that. But then I found out she's like a poet in her own right and is like an artist, <laughs> and like they're all probably cool with getting their emotions out in art, and it's probably fine. Mm-hmm. But I was anxious for him, 
But that uh, <laughs> speaks to why that movie really spoke to me. Anyway, uh, Bo is Afraid is out soon. And yes, Jesse, it will be covered on the show, I believe. We should probably do it on the week of the... Tw- oh, no. Is that the Evil Dead week? Yes. The 20th? Oh, my God. Yeah, There's so many yeah. things. There's basically Pope's Exorcist Renfeld, same day. Evil Dead Bo is Afraid, same day. Technically, why? Yes. Because... Yeah. Bo, if, yeah, t- if you Bo want to, it's coming out, coming out the same day as actually coming out the same day as Renfield and um in, in Pope's Pope. in New York, yeah. in New York and L.A. only, I believe, some coastal yes. elite shit in IMAX. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll cover all those things. Yeah, you should. I'm I'm delighted at the idea of seeing that movie in IMAX, and I'm sure I will <laughs> see it again. But to be clear, it is three hours, like proper, not like everyone called um john wick three hours and it's like what 239 before credits like no. yeah yeah Bo is afraid <laughs> is three hours long um anyway we'll also be talking jesse and i have a lot of bonuses to do and on one of them i'm assuming we're going to be talking about air and i just wanted to bring up this bit in peace jesse some article maybe it's, i think it's a hollywood reporter just like casually mentioned you know the movie's gonna do 18 million this weekend probably uh the film cost 70 million to 80 million to produce that does not include marketing or the overall price amazon paid for the high profile project and amazon paid like something insane for the pickup too like 150 million like something outrageous and like everybody's getting paid ben affleck's uh this is the first ben affleck production company movie and the whole the whole ethos of that company is below the line people all have a stake in the movie or whatever so, like, everyone's getting paid for this movie, no matter what the fuck it makes. So, I just wanted to hear Jesse and George comment on on that. I mean, it seems... I have no idea how the finances work. Uh, like, I we saw that movie. Would... Did, did you see $80 million on the screen? Because I didn't. No, not at all. Like, I think some of it must have been... Yeah, you mean, it must be that, like, yeah, you're paying uh, Damon and Affleck and Viola Davis... And Jason Bateman, those are all those all command you know decent paychecks. I thought the idea was that they defer some money and get more money if you don't have well. To, uh, the the guy pointing to his brain meme. You don't have to defer the money if you <laughs> fucking export a streamer and just get as yeah. much money, more money than That's, God. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, it doesn't look like it. You know, I would, I would watch this movie and go, yeah, this probably cost uh, a cool forty. You know, <laughs> but there yeah. are a lot of expensive sound, like expensive, stupid soundtrack cues that Affleck ponied up for. <laughs> he just loaded this movie up with like pointless eighties sound. It's it, like it's. It seems like that would be a huge waste of money. You say no, pointless. It doesn't, it doesn't I say the most enjoyable element of the movie because I <laughs> was dancing in my seat when the the shoe reveal music is pino Donaggio's telescope score from body double it was incredible <laughs> yeah. i love that's that. that's that's a great pull i just i'm talking about more about like i don't even remember the fucking like you know they like it's a score yeah oh no no they're like pop songs that they bring in it's like oh come on eileen oh touche ben affleck is this the 80s <laughs> right. you say oh it's not it may not be it's not like it's actually come on eileen but it's like or take on me which was just in the mario movie but like something like that it's like a bunch of songs like that we are, are you know uh maybe do they use like frankie goes to hollywood maybe not but it was like they now you're so talking body double again so body double yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's the stuff in air is so forgettable i can't even name them but it's like all 80s top 40 hey remember the 80s i just was like come on Affleck, you're not you're not 
this is not Scorsese like pulling what's the frequency Kenneth for bringing out the dead you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is like a third rate Scorsese imitator being like hey what was big in the 80s it's just like come on. <laughs> like one way or another isn't there by Blondie maybe I don't know I just like it's yeah, that level so. of song even if it's not uh I don't know why I was so hung up on that aspect of it but it does something that like pointlessly costs a lot of money that does not add anything to the movie <laughs> whatever he paid for the Bali double score fine that's get that person paid that's that's great <laughs> um you care about your movie George yeah, yeah I, uh, I I have some mild interest in it because uh, I admit that I am a bit of an Affleck head here and there, uh, especially yeah. when he's in, like, sad Affleck mode. I find <laughs> I, him <laughs> so fucking endearing, like, in real yeah. life at this point. Like, that interview that you just too, did yeah. with whoever. It was great. Like, I just am I'm so on board for I just I wish him well and I hope he does yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved uh, The Way Back, that like alcoholic basketball yeah. coach movie. I was like, that is so like sometimes I like the corny shit and that was the corny shit. And it seems like this might be a little bit of the corny shit, too. But I'm still still maybe interested in checking it out. It totally works. It's just like I see people giving it this wild praise that like it does not deserve. Like, it's not like an Oscar mm-hmm. movie to me, but like it's mm-hmm. very much a very watchable movie that I would recommend my parents and they would love and everyone it's like a, a safe bet for everyone type of movie. Like there it's totally yeah. entertaining, but forgettable. And yeah, I, I, I don't think it's quite the, like the Sorkin level dialogue. It thinks it has in there. <laughs> um, hey, demand, this- demand made a, made a living on that for a reason. It's hard to, hard to duplicate even as, as easy as it might seem. Yeah, very true. Uh, this wasn't on my radar, but I just it just came across my my desk. It's a tweet that says Russell Crowe recently spoke to Ryan Gosling about doing the Nice Guys two, and that he said we wanted to call it Nice Guys: The Mexican Detectives. Bang! It's me and Ryan. Somehow we've got to pretend we're Mexican detectives. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. Let's wow. go. Wow. What's what's the holdup? Breaking news. Yeah, I'm tapping um, my watch, being like, <laughs> where the fuck is this movie? Because presumably, Russell Crowe's got nothing to do with Gladiator 2, the other big mm-hmm. sequel to a Russell Crowe movie that's coming. Right. So uh, let's get Nice Guys 2 happening. One I'm of the best. That. One of the best movies. I'm really... That's great. I think I was n- neutral to negative on it when it came out, or just not interested. And then I've really watched it like 500 times since and just can't stop laughing at it all the time. Anyway. It is great. I, I will say I do prefer Kiss Kiss Bang Bang when it comes to Shane Black movies, but I uh, I do definitely I I, love. I I agree. Kiss I think Kiss. I do too. Actually, yeah, I think I do too. But that's like that is just high praise for me because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was like top five movie for me for so many years. Right after it came yeah. out, like I would yeah, cite it as great. like it was the cool movie to like. I feel like mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Robert Downey comeback. God, everyone's so funny in that movie. Val. Yeah. And Val's um, great in it too. Yeah. Val is gay, gay Perry. We love gay mm-hmm. Perry. Um, Evil Dead filmmaker Lee Cronin has a new horror movie in the works at New Line. It is called Thaw. It is an original horror movie set years after the polar ice caps have melted and sea levels have risen. The story of Thaw centers on a group of survivors at sea searching for a new home. Their prayers are answered with the discovery of an inhabitable town that is until they encounter a new nightmare living just below the water's surface. It was initially written by Jeremy Passmore, who developed the project as an original spec, and it's sold to Gunpowder and Sky, and now it's been developed as a feature. 
Cronin's hiring shows how much faith New Line has in his talents. Everyone seems to be happy with Evil Dead Rise, which I'm hopefully seeing tomorrow, but maybe not seeing for a couple weeks. But we will be covering it, of course. Very excited about that. Um, moving on, James Gray. Um, wait, I just want to pitch yeah, that they're, they should do a, like an SNL sketch or something where it's Thaw, but everybody is just doing Saw with a lisp. I love it. That's so good. And you're actually right on the money because apparently SNL did have a, a Saw sketch this week that was cut from, from air. And wow. you only saw it if you were in the audience, which someone who was wrote a very detailed description of it. And it sounds like it was oh. very bloody and silly. Um, <laughs> yes. Damn, that so that's good. so yeah, you nailed it. That they're like wow. they're like two degrees away from doing that already. <laughs> you can you can prod them there. Um, right. James Gray is directing another movie, and it is it has horror adjacent tones, it appears. Let's see. Ezekiel Moss is the movie. The film is a Depression-era ghost story about a young imaginative boy living in a small town who befriends a mysterious drifter who may or may not have the supernatural ability to communicate with the dead. Jesse, I believe you are... You There's a gray area to your James Gray. Uh, <laughs> you don't uh, really care for him? Or, yeah. Is that right? <laughs> I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's particularly gray. I don't like his movies generally. I, think <laughs> yeah, he's... I was trying to be cute, but you don't like him. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've, I feel like there are maybe a couple I've half enjoyed. I don't know. I just don't think he's a very good writer, uh, to be honest. But I, but I'm always, he always, God damn it. He always lures me back in, you know, like I was like, oh, a space movie at Astra. That sounds really good. I didn't care for it. Uh, Armageddon Dime sounded really good. Didn't care for it. This sounds cool. And then I probably won't care for it. But I, I like, you know, I, I like that he, you know, dips into genre elements. You know, I, I like Lost City of Z pretty well, which had kind of a genre elements, not horror elements, but like adventure movie elements. So maybe I, every time I think maybe, maybe. Fair enough. George, anything to say about James Gray before we move on? Uh, I think I have only Did I just hear a cat and didn't care. Yeah. One of my cats is very vocal. Oh, that's Lula. Um, Lula. She's named after uh, Wild at Heart. So there you go. Movie connection. Wow. Love it. I have a cat. That's so fucking weird, dude. My cat's name is Laura Dern. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I shit you not. (laughs) So our brains are pretty similar. Okay. Yeah. Um, James Gray, what were we saying? Sorry. I I, I think I've only (laughs) only seen Ad Astra. Didn't really love it very much. Uh, so my, I guess I have no real opinion on this guy. What do but. you not have a boomer dad? Was that movie not relatable to you <laughs> as a, as the distance between the moo, whatever that fucking movie was about? I found that I, movie so gutting as like a allegorical thing, you know. <laughs> my dad is particularly young, so <laughs> damn it, unrelatable. At least you got uh, Bo is afraid and the Jewish mom thing. That's That'll right, still that's work right. for you. Um. Anyway. <laughs> I feel like what was my joke about Ad Astra? Like, what if communicating with your boomer dad was like the end of the world or something? I forget, but it uh, it works. Good movie, Dad Astra. Um, yes, absolutely, Dad Astra. There's a lot of ways we could work with this. Uh, Jesse, did you hear this crazy shit in this interview with Michelle Rodriguez in Vanity Fair, where she said, "Um." Can I just tell you, no pun intended, Charlize Theron's a monster. We shot our Fast X fight scene with no director. And the interview's like, oh my God. And he's like, she's like, bro, hands down, mic drop. We nailed it. We were there. We don't need a director. Let's do this. The second unit director 
stepped in. We kept that train running until Louis Louis Lettier came in and took over. And she's a consummate professional, sharp elbows, and work ethic is beyond. So a hilarious that this movie is going to look as bad as it apparently does from the trailer. Just like basic shot setup, characters not looking like they're in the real location. The trailer looks bad in that regard, and it seems like that might be a feature of this movie. Um, <laughs> the the second thing I found interesting was her talking about the movie and saying. The interviewer was like, I'm not over the way Jason Momoa licked that bloody knife in the trailer. And she said, (laughs) his revenge with the smirk is an interesting way to start off the beginning of the end of a saga. I've got to say, there's a lot of nostalgia in the movie. But at the same time, I think people are going to be shocked at how we end this first movie. Because it is not an ending. But it's also like, you can't do this to us. We're your diehard fans. You can't do this to us. You're going to feel so cheated in a way. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Stop talking. Uh, I'm sure her like press agent or her, uh, the press person on the call is freaking out at this point. But she said, but then so gratified and excited about what's to come. I can't divulge more than that, but get ready for a shocker. After 23 years of shooting these things, it's really tough at the stage to shock me, but they got me good. Um, I will quickly sum up my thoughts on these movies as they were my favorite thing on earth for so long. I love the bombastic insanity of what five and six. I even like four. I love all of them until you get to seven and you get the Paul Walker dying situation, which really messed up that movie in my opinion. And I, I haven't loved one since six. I think seven is okay. I think eight is okay. And I think nine is okay to like kind of bad. Um, so I'm still excited for 10, but I'm definitely less excited than I was. Jesse, what are your feelings on this uh, franchise? Yeah, and I, this, all I mean, these I, weird Michelle Rodriguez books. I, 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 that's just, you know, I, that sounds like her. She's not like, she's like saying how people will actually probably feel about it rather than the, the promo version where you're like, oh, it's going to, you're going to be like, oh, it's, it's like Avengers Endgame. And she's like, yeah, it's not really an ending. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously not what she intends to say. Uh, I mean, yeah, she's really just describing a, a uh, like a cliffhanger. I thought the movie looked kind of fun. I like these movies a lot. Eight and nine definitely felt like coming back down. To me, there's like a line. Like the line is the first Fast and Furious, which I really like a lot. And the first bunch of sequels are all below that line. Like two, three, and four, I can take or leave. Mostly leave. I kind of have affection for them now because like they've retconned so much stuff and it's like part of the whole silly saga. But like as as movies two, three, and four are not that good. And then five, six, and seven, I love all of them, and they're all way above the first one for me. And then like eight and nine, it's starting to dip back below that that the original Fast and Furious line. And we really prefer it to be above that line, don't we, folks? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, it's just, you know, it's anytime there's this many movies. I like eight pretty well. Nine was kind of disappointing. Um, it's weird to me that that this seemed to really... Justin Lid, like, made his name on these movies and burned out so hard on them. Like, that has to be, like... Is it... I mean, yes, burnout's the right word. Like, I would just say 10% actual burnout and, like, 90% Vin-related problems <laughs> i mean maybe i'm projecting but it seems like vin is a big part of the issue with with these yeah movies. it must be it must be i love i you know i you know i love I, this is like his dumb bozo like this is his rocky thing so like i get he takes ownership <laughs> over it um it's just weird that lynn went from this like you know five and six are such well-directed like fun action movies and then seven you know he he wasn't 
wasn't working on it. I still really liked, I liked James Wan a lot and I liked the movie a lot. And then when Lynn came back to it in nine, it just feels so unwieldy. And like, and then he left this one so early on it. Uh, I like the director of the transporter is like fine by me for this type of movie. It's not like, you know, I don't think you need to get who did the other one. F Gary gray. F Gary gray. Yeah. 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 Uh, it does kind of feel like they're, you know, the Justin Lin thing was really steering it well, albeit slowly, because I don't really don't, don't think three and four are that good. Uh, but he really got into a good groove. And then, like, it seems like since then, the fact that they haven't had a director, like, repeat two in a row at all, <laughs> like, feels like a a warning. I don't know. Whatever. I, I'm I'm excited for this movie, but it's it does feel like this series is winding down and as well it should after 10 or 11 entries. Any, any yeah, I, uh, I actually have a bit of a grudge against this series, to be honest. That's totally because fair. Because I, um, I saw the first, like, four, and I thought that they were fine. Obviously, when Tokyo Drift came out, I was like, this is bad. But I was also a child, so I was like, it's not that bad. <laughs> so um, right. when four came out, I was like, this is, this, I think I'm done. And... Uh, and then, yeah, five is the turning point where everybody was like, oh, now it got really good. Now is when it like the bombast has truly taken over. And for a while, I was like, I'm just I'm I'm done. I'm not really interested. It's not really grabbing me. And then finally, the trailer for Hobbs and Shaw came out and it looked fucking good. That trailer was really good. The trailer. Very engaging. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's a great trailer. I was so excited for that fucking heinously bad movie. It's so bad. I true. I have never felt more tricked by a movie in my life. <laughs> I forgot so I to said, mention that movie in my like talk of the downfall because it is a huge like moment of oh this shit's over. <laughs> yeah, and and it it truly. I walked out of that and I said I'm not seeing another one. They they tricked me once and that's fine. They earned it, but they are not going to trick yeah. me twice. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally fair. That movie fucking sucks. But like, I feel like even though that movie was huge, it definitely made a fuck ton of money. Like, there's not another one. So like, maybe they true. they also understand that it sucked, or maybe it's just hard to again just like deal with cr- uh, tough personalities like The Rock and Vin Diesel, yeah, like that. Um. Anyway, more news. The this just came out this morning. Maxine, the third movie in Ty West X trilogy. X Pearl. And now Maxine. Did you see the cast, Jesse, that just came out? Yes. Yes. It's yes. crazy. It's crazy. Yes. Elizabeth Debicki. Michelle Monaghan of uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang fame. The aforementioned. Uh, Bobby Cannavale. Lily Collins. Yes. Emily in Paris herself. Halsey. Giancarlo Esposito, a.k.a. Gustavo Fring. And Kevin Bacon. Uh and of course, Mia Goth, who we knew wow. was returning. So was this one already filmed, or is this still no, TBD? It hasn't even been shot. It's about to be shot. Uh, production yes. kicks off this month. No release date is set. Goth recently told Variety it's the best script of the three by far. It's going to be the best of the three. This is what Jesse was talking about: the classic actor talking to the press. Uh, yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> Biggest story of the three. Highest stakes. Maxine has gone through so much at this point. Um, I mean, we're all in. I definitely didn't like Pearl as much as most, but I appreciate what it's doing. And I think Maxine, which is like set out, set in 80s LA, has the potential to be the most fun one. I do agree with that idea. I think it's fun. 
Yes, it's like, and this cast is like very fancy for a. Uh, it I mean, seems it like the budget is... must have uh, like sixteen. Uh, what's how do you say quadrupled, but sixteen times because yeah. <laughs> because like the original, the other ones are like I think they're both under a million dollars, and this yeah. does not sound like it is. It, it makes sense because like Pearl was a, a was made essentially simultaneously, so there was no you know post like that movie was not made after x in the sense of like people had seen it and were like oh i really like this and would like and if i was offered a sequel i would do it you know so this is like really getting the x bump because that movie was pretty well regarded and the pearl bump because that was also pretty well regarded so it it makes sense but it was still kind of like a a a shock because you kind of still expect these to be shot like i did kind of expect like even though i knew it hadn't shot yet Part of me was like, yeah, they shot this like quickly last September in two weeks with six people, you know, <laughs> like, right. even though that's really much more of the Pearl thing than the X thing. But they're both like limited location movies. And, you know, you just kind of expect they're going to be done kind of on the, this is this, this is definitely like the, you know, feels like the biggest Thai West cast. I mean, he had Travolta yeah. in um, in that Western. But still like this, this feels like, you know, this feels like a, a jump up. A real movie. Exciting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It feels like a real production, not like a little A twenty four movie that could or something. Yeah. Um. All right. Anything to say there, George? Before I move on, I, I don't. I want to include really... you. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I'm excited. It looks good. Or I mean, the cast looks good. Uh. So yeah. I'm into it. You know what doesn't look good? Cocaine Bear Maximum Rampage Edition coming oh, to Blu-ray April eighteenth. And it's on uh, digital April 14th. I believe it's already been available at premium prices. Just have to mention it because we did an episode and I want you to listen to it. So if you haven't seen the movie, check it out. I say with a smile, uh, definitely check it out and listen to our episode. You know what, Jesse? This may end up being a movie I own one day solely because there's a feature commentary with director Elizabeth Banks on there. And I got to hear that shit. You just got to hear what she has to say for herself. Yeah, I want to hear her defend this film. Um, I'm sure that would actually be very insufferable. But there is alternate end. There's an alternate ending. There's deleted extended scenes. There's a gag reel. Classic movie that we didn't know what to do with situation where there's actually a lot of bonus stuff. Um, anyway, that's fun. John Wick, Ballerina, spinoff, June 7th, 2024. We have a date. This one is, in fact, starring Anna de Armas, And we can confirm that that's real. We we have an insider. Hannah <laughs> <Confirmed that> <laughs> de Armas is we have on someone on her at all times watching her. Yeah, Hannah <laughs> de Armas updates is actually an arm of the New Flesh podcast. <laughs> that's us, yeah, so, yeah, that's us. It's an Anna de Arm of the new podcast, the New Flesh podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, Angelica Houston's in this. Ian McShane and Keanu Reeves will appear. Uh, Len Wiseman of the Underworld movies, plural. Oh. I think some. <laughs> yes, is yep. is directing. Mm-hmm. End of the comedy bang bang podcast. If you That's if you're right. nasty, um, <laughs> Shay Hatton, Cupertino, California. Yeah, that's right. Um, the guy who wrote John Wick three is writing this, so bodes well. John Wick three rules. Maybe the adjudicator will show up. Uh, John Wick four <laughs> is in theaters now. Go see it. Quick side tangent, Jesse. I'm. S- there needs to be a merit based system for IMAX screens. John Wick John Wick needs to got one week on IMAX and premium format screens before Dungeons and Dragons showed up and took him over and like I have nothing against Dungeons and Dragons even though you may think I do have an axe to grind 
I'm fine with that movie existing and doing well. But like, did it need the IMAX screens? I would argue it really didn't. And I think John Wick <laughs> is more beneficial use of them. And I'll I'll further this by saying I'm assuming Super Mario's taking over this week too, right? Yes. Dungeons and Dragons got five days in, in that, Okay, that so screen. I guess the injustice is more for them than it is for Wick. <laughs> But I didn't make time that one week, Jesse, to go see Wick again. And I well, absolutely would have had yeah. I known that it was going. I just assumed, honestly, this movie's doing so well. I keep looking at the showings. It's always full. There's no way they're going to kick it out. But of course, there's always fickle deals where like, that's just like contract stuff. Like, it doesn't matter, really. Mm-hmm. I'm mad. Do you care about shame. this? Well, Thank I, you. I do. <laughs> I, I, I love the num- the sheer number of movies playing at the real IMAX is amazing considering, you know, I remember cause I've lived in the city now for 20 something years, you know, it used to be like that would get three different movies a year. And the rest of the time it would be like T-Rex back to the Cretaceous or like birds yes, flying in the sky. That's what I movie. remember from the <laughs> Navy pier IMAX in Chicago. That yeah. No longer exist. Yeah. yeah. Like the, so I'm the fact that they can now have the tech. And then for a while they um, didn't have like, when movies were not being really released with the film uh, on film IMAX and before that theater had the laser IMAX technology, they actually had to window box some of the stuff they were showing there. So that was a bummer because they were showing like the IMAX print digital print. There's fucking steam coming out of my ears right now, Jesse. I'm so Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, like, cause they were showing the, what, what they would have. There just wasn't high enough resolution to show something there. They so they would show the, the same IMAX print that they would show at the, like the times square one, where it's not a real IMAX on um, that. That was like just for like a year or so. And not every movie, obviously like the Nolan one still played properly, but we don't talk about so, those dark ages. Yeah. Yeah. So now that they are able to do it, it is really exciting in some ways that you can like get, you know, all these things in IMAX and then at, on the real big screen, even with they're not shot for IMAX, it's just like it's the biggest screen in the city. Like you can yeah. see the, you know, you can see the. Yeah, like I don't think beautiful. Wick has IMAX sequences even in it. I just no, think no. it's just the best looking movie that's come out in a while. Just, so yeah, and fucking I, I, I did go. See, I uh, I did I did I I did make the time, Brett. I did. God um, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> no, Marissa Marissa wanted to see it, and uh, I was you literally go got a babysitter time. for it, which I thought we, was and hilarious. I was like. Yeah, we were like, you know what? Like, I want to see it again. So why don't we just get a sitter and I'll go with you and we'll suppose see it in IMAX. Uh, and it was fun. It was it looked great. Uh, but I do love that. It, I like that it changes out because it's cool that you, if you were so inclined, you could have seen like four or five different IMAX movies in, on a real IMAX screen in the past month. And also, that's great for your AMC stubs value. But it is it's brutal. Like Dungeons and Dragons got five days. Mario is going to get about nine days before Bo is afraid takes over that screen for a week. and then. I don't know if they I don't know if they have anything after that. Like maybe they might. Br- I wonder if they'll bring something back because they're not going to have Bo is afraid there for multiple weeks. You know, tickets. I would assume tickets still available back. for that IMAX showing. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, I'm going to go see it in IMAX, but it's not like a, a I might change what time I'm going. They put no rush like pie in there for a night and nobody. Went, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah. And then, yeah, they do have these. There were some periods early in the year where it was like, who cares? You know, like they, they could have done. A, I think that, you know, they're more inclined to do press screenings there when it's kind of in the off season when like not everything is is coming out in IMAX. But then this summer, I'm sure it's going to be back to the same thing. It'll be you'll get a week in IMAX. The thing that really kind of sucks, considering that most of these things are not shot for actual IMAX, is that there's, you know, there's how many? I think four IMAX screens in the city. 
and is that right? Yeah, Kips Bay, Times Square, 34th Street, and the real one at 68th Street. And yeah. of course, no one's going to be the theater saying, you know what? No, I'm going to book this other. Th- I'm I'm going to book, uh, you know, uh, Wick for another week, or I'm going to book Super Mario for longer. I'm going to book Dungeons and Dragons for longer. So they all do the same thing. Which, I mean, I would rather just go to the 68th Street one anyway, but I would, in a yeah. pinch, I would go to another IMAX just because it's I really it's like a- the AMC one. I don't consider it an IMAX, but I consider it the biggest non-IMAX screen in the city, so I like it. It's yeah, like still yeah. a good screen. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then they all do the same movie. <laughs> so, like... Yeah. You can there's four IMAX screens that are all playing the same movie for five days, which doesn't help you like see John Wick if it's been more than the five days that it's out. And then actually the, this anime movie, Suzume, which is coming out the 14th, is going to be on every other IMAX screen that's not Bo is Afraid. So actually Mario is going to be kicked off of all of them no matter what, which is <laughs> I mean, it's super cool that an anime is going to be showing an IMAX for a week. And if you're uh, into that stuff, it's like that's a cool opportunity. But like one of the biggest movies of the year is going to be an IMAX for one week. Uh, uh, It's a cool world. It is. It is very cool. And I wish they would coordinate a little more and say, you know what? This IMAX at Times Square is going to do this movie. This IMAX is going to do this other movie instead of making them all one week only things. It also just really front loads the shit out of the movies where these premium screens are only available for a week before they got kicked out for the next one. It's just a weird. It just means like more and more open. It's more and more movies are going to be like, you know, they got to make their money in the first two weeks and then then it's over and then it's on streaming right after, which is great for which is fine for the movies themselves, but maybe not so great for the uh, for the exhibitors. Right on. Good tangent. Moving on. Rule of three is a book. It's getting a film adaptation from Screen Gems. It's uh, written by Sam Ripley, which is said to be a pseudonym for a well-established author Ooh, who wrote this book anyway. Can you change your own fate? That question haunts three women as they become increasingly convinced that a mysterious urban myth called the rule is three is real and they must find a way to break the curse or be doomed to die like those who came before them. So Final Destination <laughs> or like any number of movies where there's like a you're going to die thing. I get the rule of threes. Isn't that a thing we all say when people die? That there's going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. I get it. It's uh, a you know Temple Hill who did Smiles producing. It just seems like, you know, classic horror boom situation horror properties are getting snatched up for future adaptations let's hope it's good uh there's a trailer that dropped this week for a new robert rodriguez action thriller starring ben affleck and william finkter did you know about this movie i had no idea it's called hypnotic it's out may 12th 2023 there's a trailer alice bragg is in it so it really feels like a movie from 13 years ago but it is real i haven't watched the i'm a fic head i'm in, i'm excited yeah i was at a the same baseball game as finkter like sitting near him and it was it was transcendent of an experience <laughs> um did anyone watch this trailer because i didn't not i i did i've been meaning to and i keep forgetting i'm i'm very excited unbelievable we really slacked on this episode uh <laughs> eli ross thanksgiving is in fact going to come out this november 2023 uh, November 17th, 2023. It's currently filming and like just started filming and they cast everyone on earth in it. Um, Gina Gershon is in it inclu- and, and New York comedian Tim Dillon is in it, which is hilarious. Anyway, Thanksgiving, November 17th. Uh, Faces of Death, Issa Matze and Daniel Goldhaber, friends of the show, are writing and directing. We know about this. Um, I don't remember if I 
read this description last time, so I'll read it now, if only because now I'm making the connection to like, ooh, it sounds like Kimmy, kind of. Uh, the new plot revolves around a female moderator of a YouTube-like website whose job is to weed out offensive and violent content and who herself is recovering from a serious trauma that stumbles across a group that is recreating the murders from the original film. But in the story prime for the digital age and online misinformation, the question faced is, are the murders real or fake? It's such a great way in. I'm very excited for the new Faces of Death and for Daniel Goldhaber, who directed the movie we're talking about today, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Uh, he will be doing the show at some point to hopefully talk about the original Faces of Death before he gears up to film the new Faces of Death. He's very busy. He's currently in New York with How to Blow Up a Pipeline doing Q&As and stuff. I did not want to bother him for the pod this week. So we're just doing a proper role review of the movie because it's good enough to talk about. Thank God. It's so nice when people you know make movies and they don't suck and you don't have to like <laughs> ignore the elephant in the room and just not talk about it. Uh, Daniel Goldhaber, good movie. I'm not like good friends with him or anything. Truly, we're just friendly. But if if the movie was bad, we probably would have skipped it. <laughs> and it's not. Anyway, I'm talking too much. Living with Chucky is a documentary about the Child's Play franchise. It is definitely more of a glorified DVD bonus feature doc than a documentary that played festivals, which it was somehow. But I've seen it. It's on Screenbox, bloody disgusting screaming, uh, streaming service. Screaming service! I, I sound like... Uh, <laughs> screaming service. Yeah, the Crypt Keeper. keeper. <laughs> um, yeah, there's this documentary, Living with Chucky. <laughs> it has like a meta twist that makes it like a very personal thing that like I didn't really need. But like maybe that's its charm. Ugh. It just... If you're a fan of the franchise, like a deep enough fan to own the Blu-rays and listen to the commentaries, there's not really anything in it for you. But I feel like there's a very small subset of people. So if you're just a casual fan of the franchise, I would say there's plenty of insight in there. So I think it's worth watching if you're a Chucky fan. It's a documentary. It is out as of this week on Screenbox. Let's get right into it, he said famously an hour into the show. Um <laughs> George, Jesse, uh, George, let's talk about, uh, you can talk about how you saw it early, I guess, but, um, sure. Talk us through this movie and your reaction to it. Sure. So I saw this movie as part of the Philadelphia film festival, which I have a great time at every year that I get to go. And, uh, this year was no different. And it was really cool because I had already been looking forward to this movie. Uh, and so I was pretty stoked to be going to it. And then when I got there, discovered that it was actually going to have a Q and a as well with, uh, Ariella bearer and, uh, the editor, whose name is very similar to the directors. Daniel Farber is the editor. Yes. And, uh, and so they were both there and the movie itself was really great in terms of like, it would be one thing if I just thought that it had interesting politics, which it does, but it was also like a good movie and it was engaging and interesting and kept you hooked. And so when I, uh, after like during the Q and a section was asking, uh, Daniel Farber about his like way of keeping people engaged in a movie that does utilize a lot of flashbacks, um, which is something that I find pretty difficult to pull off a lot of the time. You know, when you're constantly jumping back and forth on a timeline, it can be kind of difficult to keep that forward progression feeling. And, yeah. um, and, and I thought that they did a really great job with this. So I asked about that and he gave a very uh, a great answer about just finding these drama points that 
are open-ended and let you keep the audience in suspense during the background exposition. And I thought that that was really smart. I thought that it worked really well without feeling like that was exactly what he was doing every time. Like it didn't feel like it was obvious that that was what was happening. Um, And in general, I just am in favor of these like environmental action movies or dramas or whatever. Like first reformed was my favorite movie that year. Um, Silent runnings. I love as a, as a sci-fi movie. Like I think it's important to have art that reflects other perspectives. And there are, plenty of action movies that I love and can look past the conservative politics behind them. But there are a lot of action movies with conservative politics. And so it's just nice to have a movie that falls more on my side of the aisle. (laughs) Dude, it's so funny because I, the last note I wrote and I bolded it because I wanted to start this way was, isn't it nice to see a movie with like a clear point of view? And like, isn't it nice to see a movie that's like, propaganda but like good (laughs) like or for like again clearly we're revealing our own political leanings here but like Mm -hmm. you're totally right that is why i part of why i found this movie so transfixing is that the didacticism which i see a lot of people harp if there are people who have a negative opinion about this movie it's probably that it's didactic and that the characters are like political archetypes and that, that it has an agenda and all that shit and that's like to me, I'm like, you can't criticize the movie for doing that when it's all baked in, and that's what the movie is. Like, it's a movie with an agenda, and I appreciate that. That this movie is like this, like, just raw fucking like radical act that's kind of like tr- trying to get people to feel something and maybe even do something because of how dire the environmental crisis in this world is. And like, yes, like you could argue that like. This movie is like you could argue this movie's dangerous. And like I think that's really cool that there's an argument to be made that a movie's dangerous. But I could totally see the other side being like, isn't this movie dangerous? Isn't that bad? Um uh I was just kind of ranted there, but George or Jesse, feel free to respond. Uh I mean I'll I'll respond f- first and then and then give Jesse a chance to to get in there. But I, I did I, I agree. I think that that is really cool. I saw when I was watching the trailer again this morning to sort of brush up on the vibe uh i saw a lot of comments that were like actually they uh don't actually let you know that pipelines are the safest way to transport natural fuel and it's like okay (laughs) okay guys uh like all the astroturf comments so you you found all the oil execs in the comments yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly exactly seven things wrong with how to blow up a pipeline (laughs) one pipelines are actually fine (laughs) yeah Yeah. you should blow them up (laughs) so any any questions about where i was like well, do they feel like real people or do they feel like perspectives, um, which was something that I kind of bristled against with women talking, which I did like the movie. I think that was an important dialectic, but each person very much felt like I am here to represent this view. Yeah. Viewpoint A. Yes. Right. And in this movie, I think that they do something similar where it's clearly like here's the libertarian no government on my property guy here's the people who feel justifiable (laughs) anger at the way uh you know native americans in their land were and And are treated it's almost you could argue it's cartoon like i i i i almost see the criticism but i want to make clear i'm not criticizing it but like i do see the like one of them is literally like the environment killed my mother and the other one is the environment's killing me but like (laughs) it works because like these are real like like we've all seen aaron brockovich and dark waters Mm -hmm. and 
Like these are real actual things. So even though the movie is using like didactic or whatever you want to call it, like sketches of like ideas that could be construed as cartoonish, the movie has a grander point to make. And I, I forgive it for that, I guess is my point, but I'll, I interrupt. I, I also do think that this executes that better than women talking did these. It doesn't feel quite as obvious to me. I think that these characters do feel fleshed out beyond existing to deliver that perspective. And maybe it's just because it's a more action oriented movie and they get to do stuff like that and have more like the, the flashbacks that are just exposition about their backstory. But I do think that it it sort of performs this conversational perspective characterization in a way that works a lot better for me. And I'll let Jesse speak right now, but I just want to say I'll I'll lead him in with. And I think the reason part of the reason that is, is because the movie is more concerned with being a very propulsive and tense as fuck, like heist thriller. While right. it's doing all this like environmental posturing, if you want to call it that or whatever, right? Jesse, That's icing on the cake. Yeah, <laughs> right. Take it away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with that to a great extent. That it it works really well as a thriller, and it's almost. I didn't feel. I didn't find it didactic because it's so focused on the process that it's sort of. I mean, I'm not saying it definitely. The movie definitely feels sympathy towards the it's characters it's not saying it's not like that kind of like we are watching terrorists and observe i didn't i I had to i had to i didn't shut this off and discuss but there was that movie um i just got had to it was interrupted and couldn't didn't end up going back to it but there's i forget the name of it there's a terrorist thriller where you're sort of watching uh these like young terrorists like is it night moves or uh the east no no i I do like night moves um no it's about like not not like eco terrorists like genuine action terrorists like who are you know trying to kill people um it's like a big av club movie (laughs) for the year it came out uh big ignati movie anyway it's not that like this movie's not saying we're watching dispassionately and and letting you judge what these people are capable of or whatever like it obviously is sympathetic with them but at the same time it's so much of it is focused on process. Seven and days in Entebbe. No, no, no. It's something like one word. It was like about Nocturama. Like Nocturama. Yeah. Thank you. Jesus Christ. I'm so sorry. I should have just had that very locked and loaded, but I'm getting old. Uh, it's not that kind of like art. I mean, it's like, it's very much more straightforward in terms of like, like, uh, yeah, like as with a heist movie, you want the people doing the heist to get away with it because you're sympathetic towards them. At the same time, it's so, procedure oriented and so suspenseful that it's just more that the movie takes it as a given that what they're doing is not morally queasy that maybe there's some you know these characters do have this debate a little bit so that they air those views of like is this the best thing to do is this the right thing to do but the movie kind of takes it as a given that like at worst this is not like a horrible crime they're committing you know like at worst it's not going to do anything uh material for their cause no one in the movie is going well actually pipelines are are quite safe <laughs> like <laughs> like the youtube commenter uh but it's not it's also not so didactic that it feels like i didn't i know i didn't feel like i was being lectured to about why these people are righteous and great like you're really observing what the, you know just how they do this more it's it's like a how to it is a how to it's so interesting that it's based on a nonfiction book that i is 
really supposed to be more of an actual how-to because this one doesn't feel like they're necessarily instructing people. It's more like, wow, look how complicated this operation is. Like, even if it seems like pretty something that seems like it should be similar, like you put a bomb near a pipe and watch it explode. It's like this much more complicated thing where they have to, you know, figure out alibis and, and all this like kind of high tech, low tech combination. That's really interesting and makes the movie really propulsive and cool. Uh, I would say, though, that the backstory stuff, I don't think it's didactic or anything necessarily. I just kind of wish it had been a little less. Here's the person. Yeah, Yeah, I just wish it had been a little more fully feel like characters and less like, yeah, like as 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 you guys are saying, they don't exactly feel like this is I always think of the they came together, the spoof movie where the guys are playing basketball and like talking about relationships. And one of them is like. I think being married is great. That's the point of view I represent. <laughs> it's such a, like a perfect encapsulation of like what uh, what those movies, how awkwardly these movies do this kind of thing. And I don't think it's quite that with this movie. It's just more that I think those points of view in terms of like, yeah, there you have the libertarian, you have the, the native person, you have different kind of levels of anger, different levels of righteousness, uh, you know, for coming from different places. I think that stuff is really interesting. I just would have liked a little more feeling of, I'm not saying that it should have had like jokes or anything, like that, but like just a little more like fullness of experience of like of like warmth or humor or smaller things than here is the reason they're doing the pipeline thing. You know what I mean? Like it's which it does serve the kind of propulsive thriller nature of it. Uh, yeah, because the movie does, just immediately throws you in nothing. It just or it's just like no setup. They're already yeah, doing but, it, right? Yeah, it starts. Right. It starts so great, and it really holds you the whole time. It does a great. It's a great, great pacing, great tension through editing, tons of great stuff. I just it like, might be a I weird just, comparison, and maybe it's the score doing all the heavy lifting for this comparison. But it reminded me of the opening of the Dark Knight. It did, yeah. No, it has that like you know that tick 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 tick. I mean, not even literally in the score because the score has a little more of an eighties kind of has a synthier feel. Synthier, but it has. Yeah, it has that. It does have that tension of like, okay, what are you doing? Like something's going, something's going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this really has a great command of that. Uh, I did, and I just like like, and I like the flashbacks, and I agree like with his answer to that question. Good for you, man, George, for writing a for asking a good question at a Q and A. It must have been the first time this year yeah, someone has done I, that. I feel like it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, 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 his answer makes sense. Like it does. I remember there's some point where like something blows up and they cut to a, they cut like halfway through the explosion. They cut back yeah. to a, to a flashback. And I was like, what? Um, and I liked the flashbacks. I liked getting to know like where these people are coming from, but it did kind of start to feel as the movie went on a little less like filling in background details and a little more like, you know, stuff going in a column. Well, here are his three reasons and here are her three reasons. Uh, Some of the backstory, like in terms of, uh, you know, some of the pasts of two particular characters is like great thriller stuff. So it kind of balances out the parts Mm -hmm. that kind of feel like they're being maybe not didactic, but schematic. Let's say I would say some of it was a little schematic. Um, And I wanted like a little more of the kind of, color of these people's lives more so than how all of this serves the purpose of love the pipeline project um yeah. but that's a minor thing i mean i thought it, the movie really works and it like and the camera work is is great it does a great like kind of roving camera work thing where they'll like kind of capture a lot of things not like really showy spectacular like, oh i can't believe that was all one five minute take but like the camera sort of like will move around and capture a few different characters as they're moving and you sort of just get a great scope of who's doing what at what time without it being a bunch of like 
fast cuts that sort of disorienting. Like you still you kind of get a lot of information within these kind of like you know kind of slick back and forth camera move. I'm making a motion that you guys can't see on the because there's no <laughs> video feed with my hand. Very illustrative, <laughs> mm. but yeah, it works. It works really well. Like it's and it's very tense. Uh, like mm-hmm. it, even though it's not a horror movie, I think if you came to this filmmaker as a fan of horror stuff, you would probably respond to the immediacy of it and like the tension of it. Definitely. What? Is, yeah. Hey, what is a thrill if not a tiny scare? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, great way of putting it. Yeah. And area, and I almost was like, if even if that wasn't the case would this still be worth it? Would the short-term damage that they're doing be worth it in order to stop this pipeline in general or to, right. uh, or to like make a statement. And ultimately I, because of the amount of unquestioning conservative politic action movies that, that do get put out, I ultimately was like, I'm fine with this just being sympathetic towards them the whole time. But it definitely was something that did occur to me. And I uh, also was just, you know, in terms of the perspective views, it did at least sort of work together in terms of creating a strange bedfellows kind of feel where you're like, are these like, is the libertarian guy and these like punks who seem like they might be like tourists almost uh, just seeing it for a thrill as opposed to some kind of real, uh, real driving force. Uh, are they going to be able to make this work? So it does have a very good heist feeling to it, be- partially because of those uh, perspective views. So it definitely does uh, come together in its. Entirety. Yeah, there's still room for like, quote unquote, disagreement between them, I guess, in that right, way. Right. But I agree. I mean, what you're saying and you didn't frame it as a criticism, and I know many people are, but like you, what you're saying is basically what's encapsulated. I have this press statement from like the, the filmmakers, and like when they talked about describing the book, they said, we first read Andres Malm's How to Blow Up a Pipeline in February of 2021 during a year of COVID lockdowns, catastrophic extreme weather, and political instability. We were feeling creatively and politically powerless, but the book's ideas electrified us. Uh, the author claims that throughout history... Property destruction has been a critical tactic in the fight for social justice. He argues that the existential threat climate change poses to human civilization means there is not only a justification for destroying fossil fuel infrastructure, but a moral obligation. It's a rousing, provocative text that has become a high watermark in the public debate around environmental activism. So, like from that perspective of like if that's what the book is arguing and what the book is doing, this is like a remarkable adaptation, right? Because then it like it totally translates all those ideas to the screen in the process of a, you know, a processy heist movie. So I really right. just like think this movie is worth praising for what it's able to do. But like, you mm-hmm. do have to nail down that specific. I think it's very important to like distinguish that like this movie is a movie, as I said earlier, like it has a point of view. It is trying to be this radical act that says as a character's debate in the movie that one character is like doing like the political route, right? Like she's doing like the lobby or like protesting and like trying to get your stuff passed through laws and trying to get, uh, uh, what is it? Divestment, like fossil fuels divested, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to like do it that way. And like the movie's perspective via the characters and the whole, you know, base once you realize it's based on this actual book thing, it just seems like the perspective is no, 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 no fuck arguing about that. That stuff is not effective. And what we are saying, we're making the statement that 
this is the only way. Like this is the this is the way forward. And I appreciate that the movie just like is bold enough to do that. And I appreciate that like Neon is putting it out. And I appreciate that it's getting like this real actual release for a movie that like if Fox wasn't so busy with Trump right now, doesn't it feel like this is a movie that would be like really pissing off people? It just yeah, feel like it's sure. kind of sneaking under the radar in, in that weird yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised that there haven't been like protests. <laughs> I really do think it's just because it's under the radar and there's too much ac- other news happening, but like yeah, I, it just doesn't, yeah. I just can't think of many movies that I've seen that are like this overtly political this much just like a radical act that's about like a group of outsiders coming together like it's funny i actually watched it for the first time in august of last year the day that it may have been a week there was a week where rogue one was playing in imax speaking of imax and i went and i actually i accidentally double featured this with rogue one and what a perfect double feature right two movies about (laughs) young rebels radicalized by personal traumatic experience into risking it all and taking on a deadly threat for themselves. So I thought that was fun. Um, yeah. But all I could think of besides Rogue One when I was watching it the first time was obviously I did think of First Reformed. I thought of the East, but I kept thinking of maybe because of the, the score and just the sheer level of tension. But like it's like Sorcerer, which is one of my favorite movies ever. William Friedkin. Uh, it we just actually, has that uh, same energy. They had they played that as a repertory screening at the film festival that I saw this movie at. So I actually basically double featured those. <laughs> Hell yeah! And did it did it play as well as I'd imagine it would? Yeah, it was. It definitely yeah. has that same like propulsive pounding score. The Tangerine Dream score in Sorcerer That's so is good. So out good. of this fucking world. Um, I I don't think that this is quite on that level in terms of the score in particular, but it yeah. definitely does create that same kind of feeling. Um, I'm thinking if they're gonna try and emulate something, they should have also snuck in like when the when, like when when there's an explosion, sneak in the Claire de Lune, Ocean's Eleven, watching the fountain right. thing, but with oil. <laughs> <laughs> the the idea that they're doomed from the start is interesting because they talk about the way that no matter if they are successful or not, that they're going to be sort of uh, defamed. Oh yeah. They're, oh, they're gonna say, gonna... oh, they're gonna say this is terrorism, this is vandalism, it's yes. violence. But it's and an act of self-defense, of, yeah. Right. And and is is it violence if all you're doing is destroying a piece of property compared to the violence that they are doing to people who are literally dying from their actions? So Now, George, I don't know if you saw the most recent very bad Children of the Corn reboot, but I have not there's yet, some, no. Yeah, don't make any time for it. It's not it's not really <laughs> worth it. But there's the germ of a great idea in there that I would say, Jesse probably knows what I'm getting at, at this point. I feel like this movie is like a better version of what that movie was going for. Because Children of the Corn, a big element of the remake was the idea of like the younger generation taking it into their own hands because the adults refused to take action. And it was a, it was an allegory for climate change. So like this movie is just like a take fuck, fuck an allegory. It just is what it is. But I feel like it's, it's doing all the themes that children of the corn was trying to get at in a big way and completely whiffed on. Cause it's a bad movie, but like, this is a movie that is about a generation that feels like the p- people in power are not protecting them. And then like, what the fuck are you supposed to do, but take it into your own hands. And like, I just, I find it so inherently like, like just want to raise your fist. Right. And like, and say like, right on guys, like, 
you're doing it for yourselves. Um, uh, just the kids are all the, right, as they yeah, say. The, the corn children are all right. Uh, <laughs> Jesse, what do you think of that comparison? Yeah, I mean, I think this does, you know, I mean, it's... <laughs> It's going about it in a different way, so uh, uh, fair enough that it it it's, does it kind of more directly and better job of it than Children of the Corn uh, twenty twenty three, but it do, I do like like I think that's why I didn't find it didactic is because it sort of takes it as a given because it's not trying to ultimately though people do have some arguments in it it's not really trying to convince you about this stuff it's kind of saying like this is what's happening like these people are inarguably feel let down by by the social structures around them and like this is something this may not be the only thing you can do or the absolute best thing you can do or a 100 percent effective thing you can do but it is inarguably a thing that like these people can do uh and i did find that powerful that that idea without a and i think that does kind of give you the shortcut into the the feeling you get from someone something is 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 being you know really forcefully didactic about something without the kind of unpleasant feelings you know that you get the kind of the power of it without the feeling like you're being you know relentlessly preached to it doesn't really it, it kind of recognizes i think that's the other thing that the process stuff does is that it recognizes how difficult this stuff is so it's not saying like no you can do this too everyone can do this too why don't you just do this take action now like it kind of is saying take action now but it also recognizes like you have to really be willing to like sacrifice a lot like this is it doesn't look easy you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it looks doable but it looks really difficult yeah, like, like yeah. you could argue is it an advertisement for doing this you're like yes but it's also uh how to guide in the sense of it's fucking hard and you're gonna break your leg probably and like yeah, you boring. might get shot and like shit like that like and just like how difficult making the yeah. bombs is like i think that's the stuff people get really touchy about is like you know anarchist anarchist cookbook style like here's how you make a bomb and like obviously that right. stuff can in a determined board determined enough can do that stuff but this movie does not make it look like a walk in the fucking park making your own bomb <laughs> i was like i was like shocked actually by how hard it looked i kind of assumed it would be way easier in a weird way it's it's funny you mentioned that because the filmmakers in that statement say we connected with the author option his book and then had to figure out how to actually blow up a pipeline because the book does not in fact teach you how to do it because the book <laughs> is just arguing you know those like political like you have an imperative to do this it's like the way it works yeah i think the thing i keep wanting to mention is like the movie keeps mentioning how like history is full of moments with like radical action that actually led to change. But the way history tells it, they make it look like it was the peaceful protest that made it happen. It's like, no, if you look back at all these actual historic moments, they actually have a point Um, anyway. uh, But they said they, to figure out how to do the bomb stuff or the pipeline stuff, um, we connected with a counterterrorism expert who asked to remain anonymous, and he guided us through exactly how to build the bombs necessary to destroy a long stretch of three-inch steel pipeline. We then met with several pipeline engineers who helped us devise a way to destroy active oil pipelines without causing an ecological disaster. We also interviewed a number of environmental activists, some of whom have been incarcerated for their activities, to learn more about the practical means of organizing and to gain insight into the emotional experience of engaging in an act of extremism. So, like... I just I wanted to read the statement, if only to point out like these people. This movie like walks the walk. I feel like like it doesn't just mm-hmm. like like gesture at something. It like really did the work to make it as real as possible, and I think it comes through. I totally agree. I think that honesty is very palpable. 
you know, and it in a way almost kind of reminds me of David Fincher's Zodiac, where he's like, okay, if we're going to do this, we're going to talk to every single person who interacted with the Zodiac and take the time to interview them and make sure that we're doing it right. And I think that the authenticity does come through in this movie, even in the the moments that do feel didactic in these backgrounds and their perspectives you know it does still feel real which i think brett did touch on earlier that like oh yeah these people do exist and do it like hold these views so even if they are kind of representative of larger chunks of people uh they are real in that sense and and that that does come through for sure for me yes i and like i mean the girl talking about like we were dancing in the rain as a kid and the rain was like killing us because we live mm-hmm. near a, a a refinery or whatever so yeah i'm just totally sympathetic to what the movie's doing i acknowledge that but i really do think let's put all the politics aside and describe it talk about it in terms of like being a really compelling propulsive movie and like a thriller like it is so engaging you're literally on the Definitely. edge of your seat during certain moments and it really knows when to really hone in on those specific like sweat dripping down your, your brow situations. Um, Really appreciate the angling of the importance of actual sabotage versus, you know, as I keep mentioning, just like the actual ways that society, polite society would like you to deal with it. It's just such a refreshing thing to not have to deal with like, you know, the media, both sides and stuff and like just conflating everything. So it's like, well, you can't do that for this. It's just like, no, this movie takes all these arguments and says, fuck you. This is what needs to happen. Fuck your, je- your, you know, late capitalist answers for all of this shit. Like we can't do that anymore. And I do yeah. before we, before we get off of the politics thing, I did just want to say that, um, putting on my tinfoil hat here for a second, uh, you talked about how surprising it was that like Fox news and stuff is not talking about this movie. And this is only jumping to mind because I recently, uh, discussed, Friday the, or not Friday Nightmare on Elm Street 2 um which did get a lot of protests because just slashers in general were in the news a lot and on like conservative Yeah, they say did they even pick stuff. up on the gay stuff then? I don't think so. Right. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. They were just protesting slashers in general. And because of its sort of prominence in the conversation, uh it did it did pretty well. It it made a bunch of money. And so I almost wonder if they have like learned their lesson and are like, we're just not gonna talk about it because we don't want people to know this movie exists. If that is more damaging to them than putting it in front of their viewers and saying, Hey, this is bad. Yeah. That's true. Very I mean, there's it's it's not as like as sexy a scare issue, like you know, like I feel like other stuff I was gonna say, well, that doesn't stop them to do that with other stuff, but with other stuff that's, it's kind of serves more of an agenda of saying like, Oh, look how bad this stuff, you know, look how mm-hmm. dangerous this is. And, and this like is not as sexy a culture war issue, you know, the issue right. of, of oil pipelines. So it maybe does not, it behooves them not to, to mention it or uh, that's a, that's an interesting point. Uh, anyway, beyond, beyond that, I do agree that the, the thriller aspects of it are, great the procedural elements that you guys have been talking about in terms of like the actual building of the bomb is fascinating it is tense it is edge of your seat stuff i mean um, i never thought strapping a thing to another thing could be so riveting. <laughs> <laughs> very li- it's it's literally gripping mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were rivets on it 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh, this is too much. You can't be on this show. We're we're too derailed by how <laughs> how how quick you are. It's very it's very good. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Really, is there anything else to be said that you guys are chopping at the bit to talk about? Not me. Yeah. I I just liked it All a right. lot. You know, the fact that I still feel this passionately about it months later, and it makes yeah, I rewatched it. it. I was they were lucky. I was lucky enough to get a link to watch it again. So I rewatched it the other day, and I was like expecting it to not work as well, and like maybe it didn't up top for a minute. Because but then like as soon as it gets like it shit starts happening, and actually no, I'm mm-hmm. I'm lying. Up top, it's it's great. It's immediately interesting. With the slashing of the tires and putting a note on the car being like, yeah, yeah, your car is a gas guzzler or whatever. So we're going to slash your tires. Oh, uh, yeah. Public ju- transit crew, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. I just appreciate, you know, classic heist movie shit. Each person has their own specialty. We follow them cross cut for maximum entertainment as we see their agenda. Nail biting where it needs to be. The radicalization explanations work in terms of the real shit distilled in a way that is dramatic and works but i would are you know i think i'm arguing that i notice that these things might be thinly sketched but i don't really mind which i think proves that the movie works really well as a thriller because i'm just like yeah i don't really care it, it did what it needed to do and i appreciate again i just can't think of any movie that's like nakedly this political that i just i truly am racking my brain i'm sure there are and I'm sure I've seen them, but like at, at the moment, I can't think of another movie that has this, like, de- this distinctive a point of view. And it's, I mean, like, First Reformed is the only mainstream. one that's coming to mind. Yeah. What did you say? Which one? I think First, First Reformed is the only one I can oh, think of. Yeah. Yeah. And like First Reformed, I, I mean, I guess you're right, but like, I guess I didn't see, t- I guess I did see First Reformed and want to strap a bomb to my chest. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Uh, you're right. I, I was gonna. Def- I was gonna be like, no. For the, uh, I was trying to distinct. Uh, figure out why I think Pipeline is distinct in that way. I think it's just because it's a process movie, and like, yes. you could argue right. that like, <laughs> the, like how to blow up a pipeline, like the Mark Cuban taking notes meme. <laughs> like, just sit there and watch <laughs> it and take your notes, and that's all you got to do. But no, there's more to it than that. Um, I'm glad we covered it on the horror podcast. I think it. The horror is the ecological disaster we're living through, right? And oh, this yeah, movie man. is definitely <laughs> enough of a horror or thriller that it ticks, as as George said, what are thrills if not little scares? Um, so I think it fits the bill. Jesse, any final words from you on how to blow up a pipeline? No, it's just, you know, it's uh, it's it's worth seeing. If it's, we're in a little bit of a lull of horror movies, so if it's playing in your town and you want something suspenseful, this movie will fit Ooh. the bill. You called it a Christmas movie. Expand. <laughs> oh, just I mean that was just that was just being flipped because it does actually take place, I believe, up at least partially on Christmas Day, right? Uh, the the doesn't doesn't he in the isn't he hanging out in the bar on Christmas Day? One of the guys who needs to right. needs to kill some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only time you even really see much evidence of it. <laughs> I feel like actually they could have played up that more. I would have been happy yeah. about this, to see some more Christmas lights throughout the movie. Um, but no, it's you know. So next, you can watch it if you don't catch it in theaters. Watch it with your families on Christmas. There you have it. Perfect thing to unwrap gifts with. Absolutely. (laughs) And unwrap another gift, which is George's podcast, the best little horror house in Philly. Uh, Not that I'm trying to like uh, uh, fantasy draft guests for you, but Jesse, what would you pick if you were on George's show? I'm curious. Uh, I haven't, I don't know that that if 
someone has picked this already, but my my pick would be It Follows. It has been picked, but very Ooh. early. And and to be honest, we have been, and by we, I mean, it's me, because I'm, <laughs> I'm the only one. You behind. are the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I have been considering revisiting some of the early movies or putting them back on the available list because I didn't know what the hell I was doing at the beginning of the podcast. And so, that, I think yeah, that's why. I've done franchises twice on this show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They bear revisiting. So, uh, so we could definitely talk about making that happen. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the one I, that's, the, that's a, a perfect choice for, for, uh, <laughs> to make somebody have to, uh, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, taking the, uh, the tack that you agree with the person tacitly or sort of with not disagree because <laughs> I feel like, you know, the ones that I think are actually probably the best one ever made is probably something like Halloween or psycho or something, but yeah. uh, it, it, it follows is definitely one I admire greatly. Um, yeah. well, like it, what was anyone? I was going to say, has anyone done the black phone yet? Cause Jesse <laughs> could, would, would, would be delighted to do that one. Yeah. <laughs> I just think there's nothing better, and they haven't ever <laughs> packed any other phone with as much dirt as that movie. That's true. Hey, we haven't done an irony episode yet, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, well, you really you just missed you just missed your window with April one for the uh, yeah. black phone um, episode. God, dude, the I idea of you do doing black. April one episodes that are just like you ragging on a fucking movie is so funny to me. <laughs> I, uh, I did do a little prank where sometimes for Patreon I'll do commentaries and stuff for movies, yeah. and uh, and so I did a commentary for the movie April Fool's Day. But I said at the beginning, I said, you know, I really want to give you the experience of what it's like to watch a movie with me. And so I was mostly just quiet the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good bit. That's the Uh, ideal commentary. Yeah. For more great bits. (laughs) (laughs) For more great bits, check out George Heffler's Best Whorehouse in Philly podcast, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Bye. We have poor lifestyle. Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.